Welcome to Fed Talks, a Baker Tilly podcast. Baker Tilly is an advisory tax and insurance firm dedicated to serving the needs of our federal contractor clients. And this Fed Talks podcast is a series where we will bring to the listening audience an inside look into some of the topics and issues facing government contractors today. Hello. I'm Fed Talks host Derek Boyd, and welcome to another Fed Talks special mini series episode featuring Baker Tilly partner Brent Calhoun. This is our second installment, so please check out our first episode with Brent on BakerTilly.com. Brent, thanks for being here. Glad to be here. Thanks, Derek. And also with me today is my producer extraordinaire, Andrew. Thanks for joining. Glad to be here. So, Brent is a special guest. He is a CPA and works in our government contractor advisory services practice here at Baker Tilly. Uh, Brent has been working in the government contracting industry for over 25 near- years now and is an uh, industry advocate in the community. He's also authored many articles, so definitely check those out on BakerTilly.com. And as we've discussed here in this mini-series before, Brent is a huge fan of craft beer, specifically IPAs. So we got Brent another IPA for his second installment of Beers with Brent. Thank you, Derek. All right. So today we are drinking uh, Minor Indiscretion which is so great for our government contracting topics where we work in the compliance community from the Aleworks Brewing Company in Williamsburg, Virginia, another uh, semi-local brewery. It is a double India pale ale brewed with vanilla and mandarina Bavaria. I'm assuming some sort of hops, (laughs) Bavarian hops, I guess. I'm thinking the double IPA part. Ouch. Double IPA. (laughs) What are you doing to me? This is going to be a good podcast. This is going to be a good episode, so enjoy. That's smooth. Smooth. We should should cheers it to something, right? Yeah. Cheers. Cheers. To new podcasts. (laughs) That is vanilla y. Interesting. Scented a very sweet, very vanilla scent to it. It's probably not my first choice of IPAs, but if somebody's going to put it in front of me, I'm going to drink it. Thanks, (laughs) Derek. Absolutely. What do you look for in an IPA? Um, Probably not a double IPA. These things are usually pretty. Pretty, uh, pretty gnarly in terms of alcohol content. So usually it's, I'm a two of these and I'm, I'm kind of a done. Yeah, these um, are uh, 8.0% alcohol. So these are not designed for the long haul, right? So if you just want to kick back and enjoy some beers for a few hours on an afternoon, this is going to put you to sleep on the couch. <laughs> All right, well, I hope you have no plans for later this evening. This, uh, is, <laughs> this is it. Sleeping on the couch. There you go. <laughs> All right. Yeah, this is this is very good. It's very it's a lot um, sweeter than t- most IPAs I've had, so it's pretty good. Yeah, it's not so overly bitter. That's a nice little sweetness to it. Uh, nice finish of vanilla. It's yeah. definitely drinkable. It's excellent. So I figured this would also be really good to record and and lead into another government contracting topic for our listeners: minor indiscretion. So something that the contracting community is always very aware of, somebody saying there's some sort of nefarious activities going on. And so, you know, is, is that seems, you know, as we talked about in our last episode, it always seems to be the government's position that there's something nefarious going on, whether it's through exorbitant profits or something else. But, you know, d- does that mean that the government really just always has this risk averse position that they're taking with contractors? So, you know, I guess the question for you, Brent, do you see this risk aversion 
existing in the government contracting marketplace and and where does this manifest itself in, in the relationship between the government and the contractor? Well, yeah, we, we did talk about this a little bit in the, the previous episode in connection with, with, with profits. That's one way we see it actually kind of come out. You know, but you know, the, the government, by, by its nature, I think the government, um, as a steward of taxpayer dollars, it needs to be on conservative footing. Um, I, I think that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a place we all as taxpayers would like to see our government. Um, however, you know that's you know conservative is is a is a is a pretty far distance away from being kind of risk averse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, know, how would you define the difference between conservative with contractors and and their finances versus risk averse? I, I think conservative kind of leaves room for contemplation and understanding that there's going to be different circumstances and different actions are are warranted. Um, risk aversion is is more just a shying away of taking any any kind of risk out of it's largely fear um, and where does that show up right and that's and that's really the the case that you know I spend a lot of time trying to help my, my contractor clients try to figure out well how do we best ad- address the risk aversion and you know we have to understand we have to put ourselves in the government folks shoes too there's a lot of there's a lot of oversight even within the government on the folks that our contractors are dealing with um, they don't want to be criticized. They don't want to be um, um, reprimanded for any any particular reason. So they, you know, what's it's it's always easy to do something that's safe. And oftentimes, I think most of us would agree that you know, risk averse means black and white. It means clear cut cl- things people can't be second guessed on. The world isn't black and white, though. And government contracting certainly isn't. The rules are, are written in such a way as to, to not be black and white. So there's, it offers a lot of latitude for both government and contractors to get the right thing done. But when we have this risk-averse kind of mindset lens that we're looking at the rules and trying to follow the rules, well, it's no wonder that the risk aversion is merely throwing handfuls of sand into the machine. Right. I mean, I've always found that my contractor clients are, I would know, you know, in the definitions that we're using for this conversation, more conservative. They don't want to upset the apple cart with their government. They want to make stay that steady course and make sure that they're serving the needs of their of their government customers. So, I, I think that right. on both sides, it's it's kind of a well, we're not trying to necessarily. Like I said, upset the apple cart, but it's it's what the difference is between the conservatism and the risk aversion that you're talking about. Right, and I think it's important to I mean, when we're when we're starting from a point of conservatism, and we've we've the pendulum is swung to a point of risk aversion. I mean, everything slows down. Everything becomes a hand wringing exercise. There's lack of trust. There's just a lot. Of, there's a lot to unpack in this side of the spectrum. And contractors, while certainly conservative, that's been my experience too, Derek, um, dealing with something that is risk averse, you know, I think con- contractors can take a big step in that direction to help help give give their government customers the things that they need to be less fearful about making the decisions that are the right decisions to be made. Um, you know, that doesn't mean take advantage of the situation and try to pull wool over somebody's eyes. That is absolutely that's a, that's that's instant. Death at some point is doom for contractors. Strongly advise against. Strongly advise <laughs> against that, but really trying to really truly understand what your what your government folks need, whether it's contracting officers, whether it's auditors, whether it's your government customers. Um, you know, if, if if you got something that's that's really 
you know, important to you uh, as a contractor, um, you know, help them understand why it's safe for them to, uh, to get on board with it. You mentioned the, the pendulum swing. So, you know, take a look in the recent past and then also put your, you know, future looking goggles on. What is, not your beer goggles, your future looking goggles. <laughs> what, what, what does the kind of, what have you seen in the past in terms of that pendulum from conservatism to risk aversion historically in the past, you know, five, ten years-ish, and where do you see that going in the future? Um, I, I think in the, in the last ten years we've seen the pendulum swing toward risk aversion further and further. I, I almost want to say that it's maybe paused, and I, I really want to believe, I'm, I'm, but with the risk of sounding like a Pollyanna, I, I, I'm not sure if it's really swinging back. I think there are instances where people are making um, some, some big inroads in, in trying to break free of the risk aversion. I mean, we've, we've heard about the, the increase in use of OTAs. I'm not sure if that's really a step toward risk um, acceptance versus just sidestepping the whole arena of risk altogether. Um, you know, the time will tell what's, what's going on uh, there, but things do feel like they're thawing uh, a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm an avid user of, of LinkedIn, and I, I see a, a fair amount of chatter out there that's really you know, trying to, there's a lot of messaging out there that government maybe should you know, take a closer look at the rules that it's already got. It does offer a lot of latitude to do the right thing. Right. But you know, when we've got GAO, you know, and this is, this is a long time, this is 10 years ago now, coming in and being very critical of DCAA. Um, and while I have a variety of different views on that, um, I, I think DCA was wronged in at least one major respect is you, you, no one ever figured out whether DCA's opinions in those, in those audits that GAO reviewed were right or wrong. That wasn't the issue. Did DCA really get to a wrong answer? No, it was about their documentation and whether they complied with GAGAS. One of the things that people have lost sight of, or maybe never even knew, was GAO only went and looked at audit reports that were favorable to contractors. And they drew an inference from what they saw, from what they looked at, and kind of painted DCAA inappropriately into this being yes people of contractors. Immediate, you know, shaving down of the sample size. And the sample size is no longer random, it's judgmental in this report. Yeah, I mean, if they would have just looked at a cross-section of all reports, favorable and unfavorable to contractors, it's been my experience during that time that they would have probably found a lot of the same things, um, which would have definitely cast this in a way different light. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that this risk aversion is coming from the checkers checking the checkers. You know, and DODIG has got its own, uh, own, own issues. Um, when have you ever seen a DODIG report where they actually mention or focus on the things that somebody did mainly right? But there's some areas for improvement. Come on, they're, they're doing their job and they're doing what they feel like they're supposed to be doing, which is criticizing. It's, you know, the it's audit not quota helpful. Yeah. It's yeah. not constructive, it's not helpful. They may think it is, but it's actually quite destructive for the entire government contracting community. Sure. So you mentioned, you know, destructive overall. What are some other more kind of specific consequences to this risk aversion? Maybe both for the government, you know, but obviously for contractors as well. Oh, um, I mean, other than just, just just like just standing on the brake pedal, maybe <laughs> and the gas at the same time. So we're slowing burning, everything down. We're burning a lot of energy going nowhere, right? <laughs> so it's um, so it's a frustrating process. Um, 
you know, I think it's a frustrating process for contractors because they just it's it's, it's hard to ever get anything wrapped up and done. Um, for for government, it's a it's a it's a passing the the baton. Uh, auditors are getting stuff done and throwing it to contracting officers. Um, if uh, contracting officers aren't more in agreement with the auditors than not, I mean, DODIG just criticized them for that too, in connection with compensation audits, without ever looking whether the contracting officers were right or appropriate. Um, they just noticed that they were disagreeing with DCAA, inferring that that was somehow wrong. Um, perhaps yes, perhaps no, but we've kind of lost the point. So all of these issues are now just going to be concluded agreeing with DCAA and kicked to a contracting officer's final decision which goes into the appeals process. All we're doing is kicking the can. That's what risk aversion does. Things should be getting resolved in a reasonable, negotiated way. And everyone now is just passing the buck to the, pe to the people ultimately who have to make the decisions. And it just pushes it down the line and makes it more expensive. So, you know, I, I understand your point about pushing it down the line and going nowhere fast, but, you know, maybe from the optimistic perspective of you th predicting the future and that things are thawing out a bit, the trust is somehow being restored in the government and the contractor relationship, you know, what are some of the things that have happened recently? Maybe the, you know, DCA MRD on materiality, that they're focusing more on that from the Section 809 panel, um, things like that that maybe are indicating that we're kind of going in the other direction, that we're going to be focusing more on the right things, more on the, the conservative, true meaning of the, the intent of uh, auditing contractors versus quota-filling audit reports. Um, yeah, and I don't think we're even in the quota, audit, you know, filling the audit reports you know, thing now. I, I don't think, I don't feel that from DCA. I think they're trying to do um, the findings a, a, are the findings. A, 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 lot, a lot of the right th things. Uh, yeah, I mean, we still have plenty of work to do is because of all this. So um, I mean, nothing much has really changed in, in that regard. Um, but there are reasons for, for to be hopeful here. And again, the 809 panel recommendations, the professional practice guide, DCA's involvement in creating that and their embrace, at least initially, of the of the materiality section, and just to, again, to give a shout out to them for adopting it over a year earlier than what was really mandated by Congress. Um, we just we, we don't know what's going to happen with that yet. It's it's pushed out. We haven't seen the the consequences of that in practice yet. Mm -hmm. uh, we're just now starting to see that. Uh, so the jury's still out on that yet. But I mean, the the you know the the CIG, the Commercial Items Group within DCMA. Uh, I, I know that there's a lot of advocacy there to to just you know, help government do the right thing. It may not you know, it necessarily agree with all of that uh, from time to time, but I, th I think there is a, there's, a, there's an open-mindedness. The aperture is much wider open there uh, to get things done in a reasonable way. Okay, so moving in the right direction, any other kind of final thoughts on steps maybe from the Brent Calhoun mind that still need to be taken? Uh, to kind of thaw out the risk aversion posture. I mean, it's going to start one contractor relationship with their government customer at a time. If we all take it seriously, I mean, that we don't may not know what to do, but we can figure it out. It, it's fear is what's driving the risk aversion. There's things that we can do to help alleviate that fear. Um, it's you know, certainly transparency, certainly building relationships, 
certainly helping the government customer do its jobs. I mean, government customers, it, there's so many requirements laid on your contracting officers, market research, this, that, and the analysis. But that assumes that they actually know what all those words mean and they know how to do all of these things from a market perspective, right? We're the ones that are in business. We're the ones that are the contractors. We know what these terms mean. They're in government. You know, they, they can learn what they certainly mean. We live it and breathe it every day. They don't necessarily do that. So we, we can help them. Helping educate your government customers, your contracting officers on the procurement side, on the accounting side, on the program side, kind of joint resolving to uh, make sure that we're using the same terms in the same ways. Right. I mean, I, we hear lots of complaints frequently. Well, they didn't do it right, speaking of the government customer. They didn't do what they should have done. Well, what's stopping us from doing it for them? They're not going to just take it and place the full faith of, of God in what we give them, but it's going to be better than what they start with, which is not much. Uh, and that's how we can build a trusting relationship. Is it more work for contractors? Sure. But if we're going to make a change, somebody's got to push it. And I would suggest that it probably needs to be the contractor community. Absolutely. So just like this beer is sweet, let's hope the future is sweeter than it is now. Brent, thank you for joining. Thanks for everybody listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. In addition to this miniseries, you can check out more episodes of Fed Talks, a Baker Tilly podcast, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, as well as on BakerTilly.com. Here's a little salty, too. Cheers. <laughs>